0: The Has-Been Show with me, Martin Beans-Ward, the podcast that travels in the back of a van. Hello and welcome back to The Has-Been Show. Today, on episode 3, I talk to Tara Sillery. Tara Sillery is from a company that she owns called PR Passion. And she, well I suppose she does PR work, she does work in the media, she's a presenter, she does so much other things that we're going to get to a little bit later on in the episode... Because she's absolutely fantastic. She does so many things, but on top of all of that, she's a bit mad, like myself. (laughs) And we're gonna talk a little bit how myself and Tara actually got to know each other in a few minutes, but first, before we get to all of that, I just wanna say a massive thank you to our sponsors of this show, which is the Furniture Emporium in Orenmore. Thank you so much for coming on, guys, and for helping us out. And I also wanna say a special shout out to everyone that has subscribed on Patreon. It's www.patreon.com forward slash The Has Show. For everyone that's subscribed so far, you're making this show possible. Thank you so much. And I really, really mean that. Now, Tara, how are you?
1: I'm great. What am I, the, the lucky number three? Say three instead
0: of three. Three, thirty-three, thirty-three. 30, 30, 30. You swear yeah. in England or something, you know? When you go to England, uh, if you make, when you make, as soon as you make English friends, it's like, go on, say, it. go on, mate, go on, say
1: it, say it, say, say it, it.
0: thirty-three. 30, 30, go on, say it. Do they ask you to say that? They
1: actually do, yeah. Uh, Are
0: you I, serious? Yeah, but look, oh it's God. like it's my party piece now as well. Like I'm like, I'm like a six foot leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> Without the crocker gold, <laughs> we're over in the UK to try and make the crocker gold. But Chara, thank you so much for coming. And yes, you said the lucky number three. Uh, you weren't meant to be on episode number two, but sure, look, you went on your own little shenanigans, and yeah. we had to catch up with you on episode there you go.
1: three. Tree's a much, much better number. Yeah.
0: So look, uh, straight into it.
1: Straight
0: in. I really want to get into the bottom of, I suppose. Life in the Middle East, because what people don't know is that you spent, what is it, 10 years? 10,
1: yeah, 10 years. My main home is in Kuwait. And then I travel between Kuwait, Dubai and Lebanon. But I also work a lot in the States. But yes, Kuwait is my main home. And Contrary to what a lot of people think, I don't have to cover up. I don't wear what people call a burqa, but it's not actually called a burqa. No? Uh, no, it's called niqab. A n- ni- niqab. It's called niqab, niqab yeah. Niqab, okay. Where the women fully, just you can see their eyes, that's niqab. The scarf that women cover their hair with, it's called a shayla, And the black is called a baya. Okay. So yeah, there you go. So contrary to what people think, Kuwait is one of the most forward thinking countries like why would I live there if, if it was you know really strict really backwards there's no way I'd live there yeah it's
0: although there's parts of Ireland that's quite backward as well yeah,
1: there you go you do know? you know what I mean it's basically the women in Kuwait as well are so highly educated uh, to cover up as well in the Middle East it's more it's the choice of a female they're not enforced to do it it's You know, it's tribal, it's religious. You you know how even we are are here in Ireland. You know, you don't do specific things because of your choice as to what category of religion, you know, if you want to be really religious, semi-religious. But people have this thing about in, you know, if they see a woman covered, they think, oh my God, she has to walk behind a man. She's not allowed to do anything. She's not allowed to work. What they don't know is these women, it's their choice.
0: And would, would that be the case then for, I suppose, all the countries in the Middle East or- uh
1: Okay, so in Kuwait, 90% of my Kuwaiti female friends don't cover up. Kuwait is a very fashion-forward, fashion-conscious country. Um, again, I would say a very high percentage of the population study abroad. The country loves to give back to their own people. Every Kuwaiti student that you will see in Dublin, in Ireland... Uh, most of my friends that are doctors and dentists in Kuwait, females and males, they all studied in Ireland. So that's why we have such a close relationship. You know, yeah. a lot of my friends have lived here, so they know my culture. They know what my country is. They know how us as Irish people are.
0: What do they think of the Irish people, actually? Love
1: them. Like yeah. like, like my, some of my friends, they're like, they categorize part of themselves as being Irish. Yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: Cool, even though
1: you know, we're very similar in our way of thought because us as Irish, we're very into families,
2: yeah,
1: which is a whole Kuwaiti culture as well. I think the only big difference is there's a whole massive drinking culture, partying culture in Ireland, which is not in Kuwait because there's no bars, there's no alcohol in restaurants. I think that's the only big, huge fundamental difference, honestly.
0: Well, they also like loads of tea as well, don't they? There you go, they love tea. I was recently in Istanbul, last March, yeah, just before all of this coronavirus thing went crazy. Yeah, and when I was over there, some of the things that stood out for me—it was my first time going to, say, is it like could you call Istanbul an Islamic? It's, it is. Istanbul
1: it is. is very, religious. It's uh, very when, religious. When
0: I was there, there, were, like, there lovely people, yeah, brilliant people, but very cosmopolitan. And I stayed in a part called. Sultan Ahmed okay, and it was more of a family oriented kind of part of the city
1: yeah a lot of Kuwaitis would stay there by the way really yeah, yeah. oh and I highly
0: recommend it it's yeah. much better than the other part like where they, the main bars and all that stuff yeah, I, yeah, did, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't even have one drink well I think I actually know I bought a can of beer in a shop Oh yeah. uh, but I didn't go to any bars I spent most of my time trying out the food and yeah the, the food's amazing food's fantastic I know uh, but one of the things I noticed was um, well there wasn't a lot of people wearing the the headdress or things like that there there really just wasn't and a lot of men friends two male friends you'd see a lot of men holding hands
1: going down yeah that's normal
0: it's not even normal in Ireland it's It's
1: normal (laughs) it looks weird for you because you don't see it like if you saw well not
0: weird not weird it just looks
1: Alien, Yeah, different, different,
0: different. Yeah, absolutely nothing wrong with it whatsoever. I think more power to you, great. That's brilliant.
1: But this is just, this is like, you know, I think as well, maybe in Ireland, we're a bit too scared to be very tactile people, aren't we? A little bit. You know, I think some Irish people are not very tactile, whereas in the Arab states, Kuwait, when you greet someone, you kiss them immediately. You know, whether it be in a business meeting or whether it be uh, your friend, it's like for men, they kiss each other twice on the cheek. They'll kiss each other on the forehead. And a very respectful way to greet one another is males will touch each other's noses.
0: That is so intimate. Yeah. I mean, like if. If you were an Eskimo Yeah like That's 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 fucking phase two
1: <laughs> That's know? way up there With five baby <laughs> Do you know what I mean
0: You're You're, you're halfway towards Getting the breakfast you know? Yeah
1: No This is that's their That's great cu- though Yeah It's the culture
0: and It's so intimate Is that like Touching noses Like that is yeah. actually Quite intimate
1: Yeah Yeah That's But I Like oh, I know for me It's The norm from being there. Do you know what I mean? So I know what you mean about seeing guys holding hands on the streets and all this. It's more like a... They value friendships an awful lot over there as well, by the way. Yeah. And also, don't forget, it's very tribal. So uh, the majority of people are all related somehow or some way. You know, it's very...
0: Again, not too dissimilar to Ireland. exactly.
1: And family surnames, it's all tribal. Um...
0: Which would be quite like the Irish Travellers. Yeah. <laughs> quite funny exactly. again. Exactly.
1: Like, okay, for example, your surname. How many of your family are in Ireland? And straight away, if someone hears your surname, they'll associate with you a certain area of Galway, won't they? Or a certain area well, listen, of Ireland. Well, listen, if you
0: want to find a load of wards, go into the hospital and go, with Your grand. You'll know? <laughs> <laughs> you see me old cousin there, maternity ward. <laughs> but yeah I know look I get what you mean I get what you mean um, because travellers are quite tribal in the same way and they yeah. carry the name for. It. but then again that's a real Irish thing look we're in yeah. the city of the tribes Galway Yeah, exactly. you know like it, this is a tribal county yeah. Um. but I've always been I really have now I'm not just saying this Um. but I have been fascinated with the Middle East because it's a part of the world where we're being told to be afraid to visit and oh, and that's just mainstream media and that's like you know, um, American media in particular, and uh, with with because of some problems in the Middle East, but that's been pawned off as no matter where you go. Mm. Like I remember my first time hearing the call to prayer.
1: Mm.
0: No, I wasn't afraid. Yeah for me coming from Ireland when I yeah. heard the call to prayer I was like ah I'm just trying to go to sleep because
1: what we ring bells here in Ireland at midday that's, every day and 6 like o'clock every yeah. night so it's it the is. same thing except just less times in the day
0: and you know what it is after, after I heard it for because I stayed there for 12 days yeah and I was quite close to a mosque yeah so it was very loud yeah but after a few days it
1: becomes peaceful right it does
0: become yeah. very peaceful yeah it really, really does.
1: Where my apartment is, it's because uh, there's five prayers a day, right? And then this your prayer is at 3.30. Like, it depends on the sun, but it'd be like three o'clock in the morning. And then there'll be another prayer at like 5.50 or something like this. I don't even hear it. And yeah. the mosque is right next to me. I don't even hear it. But I
0: think because you become attuned to yeah, your environment, really, isn't it?
1: it. But, but why would you be scared of that?
0: Well, I, I, again, I wasn't scared of it, but I'll tell you why a lot of people might be. Yeah. is because if you look at any movies that came out in the last 10 years to do with the Middle East, it's always to do with some Navy SEAL group trying to <laughs> infiltrate this terrorist organization, you know, and straight away the first thing you see, the first opening scene is landing in the helicopters. And what do you hear? You know, what is the ambient sound that the producers use? It's the sound of the call to prayer, yeah. which, of course, denotes that this, you're in you're now in an, an Islamic country, you know, yeah. you need to be afraid. And of course, it actually just adds to the stereotypes and what it really does. It damages mm. the, the image that we have because people, by and large, are quite gullible. Yeah. And when you watch that's enough, a problem. it is. Yeah, that's a problem. And I think it took me to go to a country mm. to realise I was an absolute idiot for having any fear in the past about travelling there and mm-hmm. after I came back from Istanbul I was like that's it yeah. I want to see more places I'm but bring unfortunately you. what happened recently
1: I know but you know that will lift soon I, I hope know. so because,
0: yeah. and of course for anyone listening we're talking about uh, Lebanon and the disaster that happened quite recently with the explosion um, Do you, actually that was what was it it was a firework a fireworks factory next to a
1: no it wasn't a f- fireworks factory it was actually in the port of Lebanon a port of Beirut Um, uh, they said it was a fireworks factory but it wasn't actually a fireworks factory it was where there were chemicals
0: fertiliser or something
1: being stored it's i don't want to get into it too much politically no that's absolutely fine i'm just i'm just it wasn't fireworks so for everyone who watched the news um who thinks it was fireworks all i can say without being too um (laughs) politically incorrect is it most definitely was not fireworks
0: well it most definitely wasn't the lebanese people who are getting violent no, at no. all. And no, and no 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 I no. I think no. that's what the media tries to tell us. No, it wasn't. You
1: know? It wasn't it wasn't another Arab state like Kuwait or Dubai or I think people who have enough intelligence will, know. will figure it out, yeah. quite frankly.
0: Yeah. But um, yeah. Uh, I look I don't want my camp- camper van to go up in flames yeah. either so I <laughs> So I'm not going to say too much either. Um it looked it <laughs> this podcast is more about uh, what are we laughing at? We're laughing at the total destruction of Beirut. I'm actually not laughing at that. I'm laughing at my own, myself and Tara here, trying to not um
1: put, I'm trying to put stay targets so on our politically heads. correct right now. Yeah,
0: I know, I know. The
1: reason I know so much about Lebanon, just so everyone who's listening knows, is I actually uh, worked for MTV Lebanon. So I had my own TV show in Lebanon. I used to live during the summer in Lebanon filming. So like people in lebanon when i used to enter through the airport they would say <clears throat> excuse me they'd be like you're more lebanese than lebanese let us give you the lebanese passport because you know you're here so much you do so much for our country lebanese people are the best they're like so friendly no, love it. i'm bringing you i'm bringing yeah.
0: you, you'll die oh no like because we were saying this weeks ago <coughs> weeks ago um for anyone listening there that was Tara coughing because sorry Tara has I'm broken I'm so sorry no she's broken the rules of the podcast because she didn't want tea so what did we get Tara we got her coffee a lovely strong coffee but it was a bit too strong for Tara I think <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't like um coffee where the spoon stands up on its own inside the
1: thing is there's milk in it i'm so, I'm so oh really glad. yeah oh i'm sorry sorry it's okay
0: i'm not really sorry we'll chris. you want me to get the expensive <laughs> soy milk
1: we'll blame chris
0: um but yeah look I, I suppose more more than about what's happened in lebanon we'll talk a little bit more later on about that because i have other guests who are currently living in uh beirut yeah. and i'm really okay. interested in hearing what they have to say because Again, it's down to what we see in social media, what we see on the media. We very rarely actually get to hear from the people that are affected. We always get the filtered version, don't we?
1: That's the thing, you know, and it's like even here, I went on uh, Cork FM radio and... I met a group of people and two of them have become really good friends. One in particular, her name is Leah. Do you know how many Lebanese are in Ireland? It's ma- it's mental, yeah. like in Galway, there's so many. But in Cork and Dublin, working in Google, load of Lebanese people, loads of people from Lebanon come here to study medicine. So after the explosion, because I was here and I'm it, it like literally broke my heart. I was devastated. I was waking up and I was having nightmares. Like, I was waking up, scree- I was screaming my head off one night. my mother came in. I was dreaming that I was stuck under the rubble. That's how much it impacted me. Oh. You know, because I have for, I three people I know died. Some people I know are still missing. Every single person that I know in Lebanon was impacted in some way. Of course. Either they so. lost their home, or they've lost their business, or they've been, like, physically damaged and, like... They're all mentally scarred, like all. So, you know, that's so much for you to take in in your head. And I used to get really aggravated watching our Irish media because they're reporting absolute yeah, shite, excuse the word. And I love Ireland and I love, you know, everyone that gave me a platform over here to speak about Lebanon. But if you've never been to Lebanon and you don't even know where the country is, it's very difficult for you to report on it and report facts because they weren't given proper like they weren't reporting proper stories. And I think a lot of the media here needs to look into how many Lebanese people live here and reach out to them and they can get because still there's over 300,000 people with no homes like every day. My friends are rebuilding their homes. And now winter is coming. And by the way, when it's winter in Beirut, it's minus degrees. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like snow will come up to almost in some areas below your knees. It's mental. So now, in a few weeks, the seasons change so quickly. People are going to be homeless. And by the way, they have no food. It's a disaster. But for me as an Irish expat who worked there and lived there. And I love Lebanon because this is like the first place I got my TV career. The owner of MTV contacted me, saw me on TV in Kuwait. And my whole TV career catapulted in Lebanon. So it's, yeah, it's a country that's really close to my heart.
0: I'd nearly have to go to the Middle East before my career in TV takes Ah! off. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The Irish production companies are just not looking for me, you know. Um, well they're
1: stupid because they're losing out oh I know I, I, I thank you very much no I'm <laughs> serious know?
0: but look we'll, we'll always get there in the end you know yeah. um, but that's 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 a lovely little tale to be honest with you like you, you've done so much over there and we're going to have a cup of tea and I'm going to make a cup of tea thank it's you. part of the show and I'm, I'm going to keep the tradition even if you don't want it I can make you a weaker cup of coffee if you want do
1: you know what they call it in the Middle East what chai
0: chai yeah Really,
1: you'd fit in so well over there, which is
0: in Portuguese. It's sha
1: Yeah, por- yeah
0: it's quite similar, similar. But I think yeah. I think it is an Arabic word, though, isn't chai. it? Chai.
1: Yeah, chai.
0: Like a, chai, a chai, chai latte. And
1: they love. There's an Irish tea company here, and I'm going to bring them to the Middle East because they love tea. in it. Like they love tea in the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. Non-stop drinking tea. But of course, you know here how. Uh, so there's chai, which is just they normally drink it black. Okay. But then there's another one called chai halib. And that halib means milk.
0: Okay. But there's like condensed.
1: This, makes or me, like yeah. a... this is what oh, really? I do. That. <laughs> <laughs> they boil and boil and boil and boil and boil milk. And put tea bags into it. And boil and boil and boil and boil. And put so much sugar And they love, they
0: love it. They love the sugar.
1: Chai halib. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can't. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But you'd love it over there with their chai.
0: I love tea I love tea and guess what it's that time of the show
1: it's chai time
0: Ah, but Jesus time for a cup of tea on the has been show and we're back so uh, woohoo yeah so a little boil the kettle there and I've got a lovely a cup of chai
1: yeah, you can stick to your chai and I'm going to have myself an Irish coffee now. It's time for the Irish coffee.
0: Uh, I'd, love, I'd love to have an Irish coffee, but I'm going to stick to the tea. I'm going to stick to the tea. Okay, so we're going to we're gonna um, talk a little bit about some other work you've done that I have left to the last segment of this show because, well, the last segment of our interview because you're going to stay on to listen to the conversations I'm going to have with some of the Lebanese people that are still in Lebanon. Of course. Um, but for the last part of our little conversation, yeah. I want to ask you, first off, I want to say, I love you to bits for doing this. Aww. But can you tell us a little bit about the work you've done with the Syrian refugees and as more, more more, specifically, it was the kids as well that you were helping out as yeah. well. So I really want to hear about that. And I'm pretty sure, I'm already kind of welling up a little bit because I've seen the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your pictures are fantastic by the way. Um but yeah, if you if if you go to Tara Sillery is it PR Passion on Instagram?
1: Uh no I have two accounts. So I have my personal account and my work account. Anything to do with the refugees is Tarasillery.
0: So Tara Sillery yeah. on Instagram. Check it out, you'll see the pictures of the work she's done. Um the pictures are kinda of heartbreaking to be fair. There's one of an yep. old lady there. Oh man, I don't even yeah, know Look, you tell us. You tell it's us, reality. Yeah, I know it's reality, but like, I don't do reality very well. <sighs> <laughs>
1: it's so difficult. Yeah. Um. Maybe six years ago, Um. basically, I had a show on MTV in Lebanon. OK, so you know what it, it's like when you're on TV. Everyone's like, oh, it, can you do this? Can you come here? Can you... Uh, I'm very picky and choosy. I don't need free dinners. I don't need this kind of nonsense. So my friend in UNICEF asked me, would I go... And just see the whole situation in refugee camps And all that kind of stuff And I was very dubious at the beginning Because the refugee camps are First of all really far away from Beirut You have to go through so many checkpoints And especially It's very volatile in Lebanon The whole political situation I'm like White, Irish Crazy blondie on television So one of my other friends He's a politician in the area where the refugees were And he's like you're mental, you're not coming, you're a primetime candidate for kidnapping. You know, Tyra, if you want to help, just buy them some food or something. And I was like, oh, that's your answer? Okay. Yeah. So I went, and I think I've told this story once before on a live TV show I did in Hollywood about the refugees. But basically, you know when someone says to you, you know how, oh my God, this guy, he broke my heart. My heart is broken. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever the only time I ever thought my heart is broken was the day I went to a refugee camp I remember I went and I was like okay I have to buy stuff I want to buy them food I want to buy at least get them chips or crisps or you know sweets and stuff like this so I went into this one campsite I can't describe to you kids are jumping on you like they're jumping off you they're holding on to your leg because you're literally viewed as their saviour you're going to help them they have they have nothing they're living in nice. tents, and sometimes they're not even proper tents, okay? They have no food. There's a, a whole generation of a family in one t- By the way, in a size like this fan that we're in, which I'm stealing to go on holiday, is you would fit maybe 20 people in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, do, you have no idea. And in all of this, they will cook, they will clean everything. Nice. So the one thing and you'll see the picture, it's somewhere. One picture went really viral on National Geographic. Someone pulled it off and I don't know, it went really viral. And um, the day I thought my heart was going to break was when I gave a girl a pack of crisps like Cheetos or something. Okay, she went to put one in my mouth first before she fed herself. And this is a four year old kid who's who probably didn't eat all day. I had to get up.
0: That's heartbreaking. Like, in yeah, years.
1: I got up and I walked out and like, by the way, there was like camera crews and all that kind of stuff there. And I was like, it ends now. Cameras have to stop. This isn't a circus. This is. Uh, like I was like there's no words to describe it so I I always remember it I walked outside and I went to the back of like where the tent was and I literally went down on my knees and I literally thought I was like is this the pain I thought either I'm gonna like I think I'm gonna have a heart attack but I don't know what it's like the feeling is like to have a heart attack or is this the actual feeling that my heart is broken I was like or is this an anxiety... And I've never had an anxiety attack. I was like, what in the name of Jesus? Like, And literally, some people... And they're like, are you okay? And I was like, everyone needs to get away from me. This is, like, not okay. This is not okay. And then I went composed myself, went back in. And I was like, okay. Everyone is... Uh, I'm working in TV. Oh, this glamorous job, blah, 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 blah. You know What? I don't live here. This isn't my country. But I'm going to make sure that everyone knows what these kids go through. Because my point is, the kid didn't choose to live in this crazy, messed up world that they live in.
0: I think that's what we need to remember over here as well. Sorry, I'm, I'm, like, you can probably see right me. Um, I am so, yeah. so sensitive to stuff like that. I didn't get
1: out of bed for three days, by the way, when I came back.
0: Yeah, like, I wouldn't
1: pay uh, my friends. They were coming over to my place in Beirut and they were like, what's wrong with you? Get your shit together. And I was like, you need to get out like I will never. This sounds really narcissistic what I'm going to say, but please don't judge me. I was like I'm never gonna I used to always fly business class everywhere I was like I will never fly business class again. I will never buy handbags again. I will never do this again because I ever even to this day everything I buy in my head mentally I think that can feed them like I have one family that have I've sent they've gone back to Syria I've placed them back in Syria and they're so happy. You'll see them all the time on my Instagram. Yeah. They send me videos every other day. You, the, the li- and I think even more people will realise it now during COVID. The lives, we you only have one planet, one earth, one life. This whole Instagram shit of let me post my makeup, let me post how I look, let me do this. It's bullshit. All of it, all of it, all of it. Of course. There's people like... These kids have no, and when I'm mean nothing... And I've started to use less nothing. makeup
0: now, in fairness. You, so good. don't be throwing daggers at me. But
1: your eyeliner is good today. <laughs> yeah, it's always good. Actually. <laughs> but yeah, this, they, you know, people always say, oh my God, you're amazing. You have the heart of an angel. You're an angel. I'm like, I'm not an angel. And these kids and these people have made my heart a better organ in my body. You yeah. know, they've made my world better. They've made, and they've changed me, you know. I was always so grounded and down to earth. I was never into this whole nonsense of, I'm a bit boring. I don't really like going out that much, but I, I, I like. I was never stargazing. You know, like yeah, I work yeah. with huge celebrities that people would die to meet. But so for just me,
0: just people. That's all they are. Just it's people. just people. They're humans. Um, I suppose then, over here we have an issue with direct provision centres.
1: Oh, this is something as well, by the way. I'm so interested in and I was messaging them on Twitter and I'm going to do there's some conference call with them later on tonight actually because I need to know so much more about this because I see nasty stuff on Twitter I'm like what's going it on needs the
0: end you know what a, is
1: it explain it to a me. direct
0: provision centre yeah. is where I suppose people seeking asylum they're put into a direct provision centre to give in <laughs> pittance I think it's like 20 quid a week or something like that now they they are given food, but what we're seeing in a lot of the direct provision centres is the food is substandard. Yeah. I mean, seriously, substandard. I've seen that. A lot of it isn't halal, and um, there's just a serious lack of respect actually towards the uh, people with uh, different dietary needs. Um, there's overcrowding. Uh, I think there has been some serious assaults that's happened within it. But, you know, and that's from putting people into the room like no, there's no kind of protection for people i think people have died in direct provision <laughs> set. yes um but here's the here's the crazy crazy thing is the amount of money that's been spent
1: this is what i was so interested in because there's the group on twitter the direct provision and they i think they really love and support you a lot right they were well, like I retweeting I, I do love and support them that, as a well. yeah yeah but it was like I was seeing their pictures. Does this meal look like it cost a hundred euros? And I was like, "What is going on here? Like, what's yeah. happening?"
0: Well, that's what the company who runs the direct provision centres will be receiving from the state. <gasps> <laughs> I know, I know. But look, that's a whole whole that's a other whole rabbit hole. Yeah, that we're that's not a whole get other down episode. To and I think we'll have
1: another episode about that after I have the COVID. Well, well, I tell
0: you what, I will be returning to direct provision centers as a topic mm. and i have friends who have gone through the direct provision process yeah and lovely people and it just it breaks my heart because they just want a chance to earn a living yeah. to work to live work, to to be yeah. and when we're talking about syrian refugees and we're talking about people come from war torn countries like and i well, people
1: I, don't have a cli- do you know what i find like so bad in this country they're like, ah, coming over here to our country, taking off the state. Why don't they go back to their own country? I'm like, are you that yeah. ignorant that you don't realise that their country is being nuked? Yeah, they don't have a home. They have, they have nothing. Like, it's all gone. They don't have a, a system with a bank. They have no economy. That, this country is so lucky. If you don't have a job, they'll help you. It's mental.
0: Also, this like, we need to also remember as well, when we talk about Syria... Yeah. It's not the Syrians who chose this war. No, of course You've
1: not. You got the
0: Russians, you got yeah. the the Americans. Who else is Iran is involved? I think is it Kurdistan?
1: Like It's 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 too much. It's they, like a like, hot mess.
0: But it's not the people. The people that we see crossing the border it's looking not for their help. Fault. No, They're running. They didn't for, choose <laughs> it's, this. It's crazy.
1: They didn't wake up and choose like People need to get a grip of reality in this country, and
0: I think that's that's what I want to aim with this podcast yeah. is to do several different podcasts like that. Um, but we're going to we're going to talk to some people that are in Lebanon because I think that's the, I think just because of what's happened recently, it's something that I want to look at, and because it's a country I want to go to yeah. as well, I want to go to, I want to go you to. Will. I oh, will I will, bring I, will. You. I will, I will, I will. Once Corona fecks off, I know it um feck off. But look, Tara. As always, I want to say thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I will be having you on again before you feck off to the <laughs> Middle East again. Because let's face it, you're wearing the hoop earrings today and you are genuinely more of a traveller than I am I've because you've travelled from the Middle earrings East. On.
1: They say the bigger the hoop, the bigger the... in
0: anyway. <laughs> The bigger the bure. Tara Sillery, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoy the Irish tea. I uh,
1: loved Irish coffee, actually.
0: Oh, Irish My coffee. Irish Sorry. Coffee. I'm Magic. <laughs> Oopsie doodles. Anyway, um, guys, I just want to say that, you know, if you can get a chance, go check Tara Sillery out on Twitter, on Instagram and on Facebook Um, and if you're still doing stuff around the Syrian refugees, Tara, put up like a recent post or put up a new post. And maybe maybe some people who want to get involved in helping out can reach out to you because I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Especially now that winter's coming, you know, I I hound all my friends don't throw anything away. I'll take it to Lebanon for the refugees because they're at the border of Syria and Lebanon. Um, yeah. so maybe
0: maybe we can do that maybe we can do another episode where you come on and we can do maybe a bit of a food not a food drive because I don't think food, no, food be because, perishable. you it? see
1: the thing is like to bring it there costs so much money as well on you know shipping it and all that kind of nonsense but you know when people go through their wardrobe and they oh I don't need this I don't need that there is people with no clothes or no yeah. shoes and they need it so okay. there's always someone your what do they call it your garbage is someone else's treasure Yeah,
0: yeah that's so true but you know what we might return again in the future as I said and we might do like some kind of closed drive towards Christmas but we yeah. will we'll definitely re- yeah. we will definitely revisit this but for now I just want to say thank you so much thank you so so much
1: you're so also well can I thank try you. out my new
0: my new Lebanese words okay so, uh, I've, so okay. you should was. have
1: said this at the beginning of the when you were opening
0: ha ha oh that's right massa el.
1: <gasps> yeah. There we
0: go <laughs> Martin Beans word. Bilingual Connecting the world With words That's me The wordsmith You know My name Oskillig, Is Macon Which means Son of the Bard Which means We work with words Yeah, yeah. Way
1: I, So now Do you want to say Goodbye in an Arabic word To like Close it all off Yeah Masalama Masalama,
0: Masalama.
1: Yeah Masalama so That means goodbye in Arabic Masalama Masalama
0: Sounds like a, like a pasta bake. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tara Silleri, masalama,
1: masalama, baby.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Tara. And we will be back again with another one. But we're going to go back down to have a conversation with the guys over in Lebanon. Yeah, so and have...
1: enjoy this one and listen carefully, everyone. Yes. And see how you can hop.
0: So coming up in the last part of the show, we're going to talk to three locals living in Lebanon. More specifically, living in Beirut. We're going to ask them how they've been affected post-explosion. We're also going to learn, for the first time from me, anyway, maybe you guys are far more clued in with all this, but we're going to learn about the political system and about the economic crisis that's going on there at the moment and about the medical supply shortage that's happening uh, post-explosion and during the middle of a global pandemic. So, the first guest is Jad El Khoury, who is a medical doctor. The second guest is George Bonmassour, who is a medical expert. And the final guest is Khouida, who is a uh, restaurant owner in Beirut who had her restaurant destroyed with the explosion. Please listen. And we're going to mention a couple of, uh, I suppose, pages and websites and ways that you can help uh, promote, uh, I suppose, what's happening over there. And how you can, uh, I suppose, challenge the corruption that's coming from the government. So please listen intently and please, if anything from this podcast, take away the messages that each of these uh, interviewees leave us with. Thank you very much. So today I'm, I'm joined by uh, Dr Jad El Khoury, who is uh, he's living in Lebanon. He's a doctor. And I just want to say, welcome to the Has Been Show, Jad.
3: Thank you. Uh, I'm actually quite flattered to be on your show.
0: Oh, you haven't heard it yet, so. <laughs> well, yeah, I haven't heard it yet, but I've heard your accent, and I love it. So <laughs> thank you very much. That's <laughs> it. Really excited because of that,
3: and you know, um, mainly, uh, I'm also really excited because, in spite of the, you know, the worldwide situation, which is quite gloomy at the moment. There are still some people out there who are trying to do positive things, still you know, positive thoughts, positive change, positive attitudes,
0: and that's what these podcasts are all about. I hope. Oh, absolutely! Uh, like today, I, I basically, I, I, I myself and Chris, the sound technician, decided we wanted yeah. to do. We wanted Bye, to. Chris. So Chris, Chris is off with the with the laptop at the moment, he can't hear you so <laughs> well he can hear you but he can't speak. we'll and say hi back. Yeah, no problem. And so we decided that with everything that's going on in Lebanon at the moment, we wanted to talk to some locals. And a friend of ours, uh, Tara Sillery, who was on the show, lived in Lebanon and she lived in Kuwait. and She's been living in the Middle East for the last 10 years and we were talking about what it was like for her living there because one of the aims of this podcast was to dispel some of the myths around living in the middle east because of course we listen we have a lot of you know the western media and we get a lot of misconceptions pawned off as fact and reality but i couldn't do an episode around lebanon without talking to some people who are living there so i just want to ask i suppose straight off the bat what is it like living there now at the moment post explosion
3: Well, it's quite different, so literally you've got Lebanon pre-explosion and Lebanon post-explosion. It's it's a really um, different situation, like right now, honestly, everyone's just going through the motions, everyone's still traumatized from what happened, you've got people who lost their houses, some people lost their loved ones some people lost their, obviously their livelihood, not just because of the explosion, also because of the corona pandemic and the Lebanese economic situation right now, which has been coming to a boiling point since um, early 2020. So it really hasn't been a good year to Lebanon in general. Yeah. However, um, well, actually, Lebanese people are, quite crazy so, <laughs> so you have still got uh, little glimpses of hope and happiness here and there you still got people who go out and party in spite of the corona pandemic which I highly recommend against obviously Yes. <laughs> yeah uh, especially like schools are closed but people are you know drinking and partying everywhere so um, but yeah so this is not really the um the ideal uh, situation right now for everybody however i think we still have the
0: the spark if if you know what i mean yes i do the, the friendliness
3: towards like well obviously everybody says that in every country but lebanese people love foreigners and the um hospi- in the you know like being hospitable kind of sense yes
0: yes of course
3: and that's still ongoing obviously that's that's still a thing here um, we're still friendly towards each other as much as we can in spite of uh, you know situation
0: I, I for, for myself I've it look Lebanon has always been a country I wanted to travel to and I would have I would sorry
3: and I'll, and you should and I'll show you around
0: Ah that will be absolutely brilliant you see that's the type of hospitality we want all of the listeners to hear because we want we want to promote the, the positives we don't want to talk about the negatives because by and large you guys are all victims to this explosion and now you're victims to how the media portray what it's like to live there and yes of course the scaremongering you know people are afraid to travel but I, I, I would really like to see a time in history, where all of that is pushed aside, and we can just get on with life and get on with, you know, spreading love and spreading positivity and getting more people to visit the Middle East and starting to really kind of investigate for themselves, uh, you know, around the realities of of how hospitable you guys are over there. Because anyone that I've ever met from the Middle East have been extremely hospitable. You know, you you go into somebody's home and straight away you're offered a cup of tea, which is quite like Ireland. We we share a lot of similar traits.
3: Yeah, I can't wait to visit Ireland, actually.
0: You you should, you should. You should definitely visit Ireland. I will,
3: I definitely will. But, yeah, so the thing is that, like, in Lebanon, it's really a mixture of different realities all at once. So, um, on a usual pre-explosion day, obviously. (laughs) Because, you know, we're still dealing with it. But, eventually, I think we're going to pull through. Um, Because, you know, you've got... Like, you you could go out, like, on the same day, you can literally um, go to the beach, then go spend the day up in some mountain, then go party your ass off all night long and get (laughs) wasted. And then, like, right next to the nightclub, (laughs) you have a mosque and a church (laughs) where if you want to go, like, pray, you can go do that thing.
0: When you want to um, when you when you want to seek forgiveness for, for being up on the mountain.
3: Yeah, because you know, people misbehave up in the mountains. Of course. As far as I know. As far as I hear, obviously I, I behave all the time.
0: Oh yeah. You so. you you read about it in a magazine. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I read about it in a magazine. So um so basically you've got this amalgamation of West meets east uh, over here a lot. So you've got some conservative communities uh, mainly outside of Beirut, and obviously they're very friendly, they're very nice, very welcoming to to strangers, Very because, um, you know, like conservative, whenever someone's, at least in the Middle East, because I cannot speak for the rest of the world, but whenever someone is conservative in the Middle East, they actually still have the... Um, the ancient values of this region in the sense of hospitality to strangers, helping anyone in need, um, giving and showing off the best image of themselves. So they're quite generous. They're quite nice. And then you've got, on the other end of the spectrum, very westernized Beirut, where, uh, you know, like, um, you could literally um, do anything <laughs> kind of get away with it so um so you really get like if you feel like exploring some stuff that you can't really get acquainted with in europe and you could you know obviously get out of beirut because there's plenty of touristic spots there's that yeah. but there's also a really interesting lifestyle that you don't get to see everywhere and if you you know, feel a bit homesick, and Beirut is really, really, really fine. Like you can't, you can't do all Beirut in one day, obviously. Oh, I,
0: I, I would think when I go there, I will definitely go for a few weeks because I want to see the countryside. Yeah. I want to see the nature, yeah. but also the architecture. And I think you know, there's so much the history. Uh,
3: well, the the beautiful traditional architecture is not true. Like we have. Uh, Obviously, there's an NGO called Save Beirut Heritage, which is working on preserving the uh, ancient Beiruti architectures, especially stuff like that are a century or more old, etc. All over Beirut, but there isn't many, not as many as whenever you leave Beirut, where you've got these, you know, the cute red roofs and uh, the really nice houses that are really typical of. old Lebanon yeah. and they still got that outside David. and it's just beautiful to look out. Um and to really appreciate and of course there's the animals
0: the ones the <laughs> nothing
3: the animals nothing oh, really. yes. well actually we, we just have cats and dogs <laughs> <laughs> they'll do <laughs> I was trying to go for
0: something exotic, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> we well, There'll be some exotic Irish people going over there, hopefully in the near future. So, and they act like animals sometimes. So you know, you might you all might do. adopt them. All
3: when drunk. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> can I ask
0: yeah. you? Can I ask you then? Because some of my listeners would be from the LGBT community. Could you maybe yeah. let us know what's it like for an LGBT person, if you know of any, that you know to live yeah. there or to be there or to visit uh, Lebanon?
3: Well, a lot of LGBT people actually visit Lebanon because, um, well, especially for Beirut, they, there's a lot of hangout places, nightclubs, etc. For the LGBT communities, there are drag shows. There's all that kind of stuff. But obviously, outside of Beirut, because it's more conservative than no, you're not gonna find an LGBT-friendly club or restaurant outside Beirut. Mm-hmm. But uh, you could still like, as like, no one's gonna you know like harass you. Um, obviously, we're still not very accepting as a community of these. Views which I fully support, mm-hmm. uh, I do not I fully support the views in the community, the LGBT community, uh, yet. But we're heading there. Like, there's been uh, quite some reforms, um, and the uh, younger generation is quite open at the moment, really. I'm actually really proud of them. Yeah. Um, I'm really surprised that things are changing and they are changing rapidly. Again, at least, especially for Beirut. So, um, which is the you know the urban center of the of the country?
0: Which but, which, which uh, would be where, where most people would travel to anyway would be Beirut.
3: Yeah, but like I've had lots of LGBT European friends visit Lebanon, and um, they've been outside Beirut. They've been sightseeing. They've done the tourism. They've done it all, and they've had fun. They've had some great time. Yeah, so and obviously they've tried, they've tried out their the, the, the LGBT scene uh, as well, and they've really had fun there. If you know what I mean. Oh, I so, do, know, uh,
0: what <laughs> I do yeah, know what you mean. I do know what you mean. I think everybody knows what you mean, and that is fantastic. Yeah. Also, you know, Jad, like in Ireland, uh, where, where 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 I'm from, it was illegal. Yeah. It was illegal to be uh, gay. In the mid 1990s, so our country here has only come on leaps and bounds since then. So, like, we're we're no like we're not too far ahead of you guys. Um, and again, it was largely down to, I suppose, religious and conservative values in Ireland. But uh, with with time and with you know uh, a lot of people kind of supporting the LGBT community, these things change over time anyway. Um, but yep. I, I for myself. I've traveled to some countries where it's not advised to show public displays of affection if you're LGBT and while it's not it's not ideal but it's it you can live with that in the meantime, you know.
3: Yeah, well the thing is that typical Middle Eastern
0: in typical Middle Eastern culture men do hold hands.
3: I saw that, so yes. We've got, we've got, yeah, so we've got lots of Syrian or Iraqi or whatever, heterosexual males who actually hold hands on the street as they walk, and that's pretty normal. Uh, it's very normalized. Now, for the Lebanese, they don't really do that because they've more of kind of like acquired the macho Western U.S. Ideals of friendship if you say, yeah. if you will yeah so i would say no if you're lgbt don't do a lot of public display of affection unless you're in an you know lgbt space obviously yeah because no one's gonna kill you no one's gonna shoot you no one's gonna attack you but um <clears throat> It's also it.
0: it's also to respect the customs and traditions of the local area that you're traveling to. Well, yeah, I guess. But, like, there's a
3: place to everything, I assume, for now. And hopefully that will change eventually. But, like, no one's going to bet an eye if... Like, no one's going to take you to prison because you're going to uh, hold hands with someone, obviously. Yeah. But, just, um, do don't... <laughs> But like a lot of you know businesses and institutions have it in their bylaws that there's no discrimination based on gender or orientation. So you've got lots of European uh, employees uh, and some local NGOs or local institutions or universities, etc., who are here. Who are, for instance, gay and here with their husband and child, or lesbian and they do perform public space of affection at times, so there's that end of the spectrum as well.
0: That's the western people always pushing the boundaries, that's what they do. They, 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 just, they just do uh, whatever I they want. Should, uh, they
3: should, they should push the boundaries.
0: <laughs> maybe yeah, in, maybe in some sense, maybe in some sense. So tell us then Jad, you're a doctor, we're not going to talk about where you work or anything like that but would you see would like would you see a heavier workload now post explosion? Are you still treating people or?
3: Yeah, so the first few days post explosion were were really really really, um, they took a toll on on all of us, especially on the uh, the medical community. So yeah, um, yeah, it was it was really, I think bad is an understatement, but I'm gonna say bad. So, and then um, things have calmed down since, you know, right now I think it's, it's, it's more about, I think the main focus is about obviously helping anyone who has uh, unfortunately uh, gotten any form of disability or um, was negatively impacted by the explosion and obviously uh, helping anyone deal with their Psychological traumas yes. Because that's very real And those things can actually haunt you For a lifetime So I think This is um, This is really important right now It's, yeah. it's very important
0: and To do I, I yeah. suppose when when we talk about Mental health issues and things like Post-traumatic stress disorder They're very real consequences of Of, of something like an explosion
3: very real very real and a lot of people are depressed a lot of people are anxious a lot of people have dsd obviously and uh we 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 really have to deal with that eventually if we're gonna pull through you know um and luckily we do have some of the best hospitals in the middle east um you know and um and that does help to a certain extent but
0: and and would you see would you see it more difficult at the moment dealing with people that may have been caught up in explosion as well as dealing with a global pandemic like the coronavirus
3: um yeah basically um like what's the worst thing that can happen when you have a pandemic an explosion that forces (laughs) everyone into the streets yes yes (laughs) um so yeah, it's, 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 it's
0: been a roller coaster, honestly.: Well, Chad, I, I, I would love to bring you back onto the show again in maybe a few months' time when things are looking a little bit more positive, um, but for, but for the uh-huh. meantime, and I'd really love for you to just think about this before you answer, what message would you like to send out? To everyone over in the western side of, of, of the world, I suppose. To all my listeners, and 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 for anyone listening in, uh, listening to this story about uh, Lebanon, what would what message would you like to give out?
3: Um, I think that's a tough one. Of course. <laughs> I think I would say that. Um, well. Don't trust everything you see on TV or in the news. And if you really want to know a people, if you really want to know a country, um, then you should rely on your first-hand experience before you judge. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all literally the same. We're flesh and blood. We have emotions. Um, we have the same basic needs. We have the same basic wants, which are you no, know, literally just... Shelter, food, safety, happiness, sex, like, literally the same basic ones for yes. all of us. And just like, you know, I wouldn't really judge, or not judge, I'm not saying judge. I wouldn't really presume that, for instance, everything I see portrayed as an American high school on TV, because we get lots of American shows here, is real. The you know, the tea. Um, I would really hope that not everything you see, for instance, on Homeland <laughs> is assumed to be real or on, because um, you know, like, there was like one time I remember they were, uh, there was the Oprah Winfrey show and they were talking about one of her Lebanese singers, Nancy Ajra, if you want to look her up, and they're like, she's challenging the norms of the country by dressing this way and singing and dancing and. And God knows what. And they're like showing a desert with cameras and all that. And I'm like, okay, one, we don't have a desert. <laughs> Two, she's like very modest compared to how we dress because literally, like, we dress like way more, you know, extravagant than that.
0: <laughs> do you truly um, shade on like, Oprah?
3: <laughs> yeah, like I love Oprah, but seriously, do have your team do their research first, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, like, we've had Sabah, if you want to look her up, she's like this pop diva from the, like, I don't know, uh, the, the 60s or 70s. And she's like, you know, like, she she's like the Madonna of Lebanon, if you know. Like, so no, don't trust everything you see on TV, everything that's being portrayed on tv come have your first time experience if you hate it hate it so be it if you love it love it and we are obviously gonna do our best to make sure you have a great time and and you love it here and you would love our people just like we would you know
0: well feel. jad all i can say is challenge accepted <laughs> yeah. I, I will i will make the trek over once the coronavirus goes and we're allowed to travel again I am going to make it my business to travel to the Middle East because I do want to learn firsthand, and I do want to experience all the positives that the media are forgetting to tell us. My pleasure to be your guide. You just have to beforehand.
3: You can't just, you know, give me a call and like, hey, my plane just landed. Come pick me up.
0: Don't do that. <laughs> no, I won't do that. Although I, I, did, I did something similar to that when I went to Brazil, but no, I won't do. I won't do that. I'll give you. I'll give you plenty of notice. But Jad, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the Has Been Show, and I'll send you a link of of the full show afterwards, and uh, you can have a listen back to it. But I do want to be able to speak to you again in the future, uh, maybe when things are looking a little bit more positive. Anytime. Well thank you so much, so how actually how do I say it again? So it is Masa El khair is good evening because I think it's um, yeah, is Yeah, it, Masa al masa, khair
3: Like in Lebanese we don't use
0: that uh, Masala, so is it Masala, Masala Masa la masa Masala, Masala Ha Haha, <laughs> see? That's, <Yeah>. I'm learning <laughs>
3: <laughs> well I'll teach you some more when, Whenever
0: Well thank you very much And Jad Thank yes, you so much yes. For joining us on the show today And do take care over there And we will definitely Speak again soon
3: Of course Anytime
0: Okay Take care Jad <coughs> Hello Georges uh, Hello yeah Hello, How are you That's <laughs> not, not too bad Not too bad uh, Hello Hello
4: Hello,
0: how I'm afraid that's all I know.
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's fine. We'll teach you some Arabic.
0: Ah, Well, I I would like to learn that actually. Uh, I find it to be a fascinating language. And I think a lot of English words also originate from the Arabic language.
4: Yeah, and a lot of uh, actual Lebanese Arabic uh, dialect or language uh, is derivated from French and English.
0: Oh wow! Why did I don't go? know if
4: Paul told you we in Lebanon we speak a mix of Arabic, English, and French. That's the Lebanese.
0: Oh, chanté! <laughs> Very good. So <sir>. yeah. <laughs> well, well, welcome to the the Has Been Show. This is the, my podcast, and th- this episode is basically about the Middle East. But we've started to specifically look at Lebanon because of everything that's been going on and. Just before yeah. just before calling you, I spoke to your friend uh, Jad El Kuri, uh, who's a lovely guy yeah. and had had a lot, of, lot to say. But I suppose I'd love to hear your thoughts on what it's like at the moment post explosion. What's it like on the street? What's it like for people, ordinary people? Oh.
4: Yep, sure, sure. Well, uh, it's a mix of feelings uh, because at some point we feel that we're no longer insecure, even in in our houses due to the uh, negligence and corruption that the political system has been running the country with for years now. And at the same time, you feel people coming together because the biggest initiatives to rebuild and to help each other are from within the communities, from within the people. No politician ever mobilized anything to help.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. We, we I suppose that we, with our Western media, we don't really hear that. We hear, you know, people saying to support the government, you know, to send money and send charity to help out. But if, if there's an issue with politicians not doing as much as community groups, then surely that's a problem. Yeah.
4: Sure, sure. No single politician visited this the area affected in Beirut. No one even mobilized a dime to help people. From the very, very first day post-explosion, you, you would see regular people like you and me going on the street, helping each other, helping people clean up, rebuild their houses. The local NGOs, international NGOs, the local communities, those are the people mobilizing to help. The government is just sitting in their uh, palaces and their houses and calling for the Western world to help with funds and for the arab region to help with funds but actually they're doing nothing
0: wow that's you see i didn't know that now i'll be honest with you um so what do you think then as somebody from the area what do you think would be a solution like what can we do to help
4: the main thing is uh, to to spread awareness regarding the state we're living in, this state of corruption. We really need support from the Western world to help us drive this change we're demanding, the politi- political change, the change from the sectarian system we're, we're being governed by, because the uh, politicians and the governments have done nothing but steal the public money, the people's money for more than 30 years now they ran the country into bankruptcy they've uh, confiscated people's money in banks so we really need the help to come to the people not through the governments through local communities through NGOs and we need the push the lobbying that can be done to help Lebanon get the reform for its political system
0: Do you have, is there any website or group that we should promote on this podcast so we can direct people who want to help to a group that isn't corrupt?
4: Sure, sure. If you want, uh, there is one initiative, one NGO, one local NGO that's Uh, coordinating with many other international and local NGOs and communities that's called DAFA there is uh, on Instagram you can find several accounts such as live love Beirut they are always uh, publishing reports stats on the help needed on the help delivered so they can also connect you to other uh, actors and uh, communities on the ground working together to help the people of Lebanon and Beirut specifically.
0: So just to recap then, so it's D-A-F-A, Dafa, and Live Love Beirut.
4: These are two among the many, many NGOs and communities working, but these have uh, contacts and uh, they are coordinating among several groups, uh, holding uh, um, group meetings uh, across several NGOs and actors, so they can help connect to other actors and uh, communities mobilised.
0: Well, that's that's, that's exactly what I wanted to learn in this conversation, because we do need, uh, for Western people, we do need to know, like, who to who to help where to send our money where not even money but where to where to promote um in lebanon because for us we would automatically assume that it's the government but you know we come from a country maybe where our government is held to more accountability maybe it's a bit different in lebanon why has it been allowed to continue for 30 years
4: because they opposed the civil war in Lebanon that ended in the early '90s, uh, the politicians have been running the country with the religion and sectarian uh, and uh, sect- in a sectarian way. They, are, they used to uh, to, to, to uh, make people fear each other based on religion, so they could stay in power, so they could steal the money coming to help the country post the civil war, and that's how it's been done for years. Now, with the people demanding change, the government is using force on the ground. They are trying to shut the people up. They are trying also to remobilize their groups in order to spread like fear among the people, the protesters, the, the, the people who are uh, going to the street to, to, uh, through the uh, October Revolution, if you heard of it.
0: I didn't hear of it. An October Revolution.
4: It started last October, last year, and uh, on the 17th of October 2019, with the increased taxes, with the corruption uh, reaching a peak level, and now with the uh, Lebanese lira being devaluated vis a vis the US dollar. So, uh, and it's been a year almost now, and we're still living in this system, in this corrupt system. We can't even get enough medication, We can, uh, the hospitals can't even buy the supplies and equipment because the banks are not giving them the money in US dollars. So they, they are buying the equipment and supplies at an inflated rate. They are not being able to accommodate even enough COVID patients in ICUs due to the lack of supplies. So the corruption is at its
0: peak. Well, I'll be honest with you, I'm absolutely shocked here um, because I didn't know it was to that extent. So basically the government have allowed have allowed this to happen. They're now pushing the country into a state where they can't buy medical supplies, and when they do, it's, yes. it's that at inflated. And of course, you you are a doctor as well. I should have uh, introduced you correctly, but we I, we we just jumped straight into it, and the conversation kind of grew organically. But just to give you a full introduction, you're I'm I'm sorry. You're going to have to help me pronounce your surname. So it's it's Georges Bon. M- it's it's a George Bou Mansour. That sounds French, doesn't it?
4: Uh, it's a Lebanese, but it sounds French because maybe I'm French-educated, so the <laughs> accent
0: uh, goes naturally okay. towards French. Right. Okay. Well, 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 George, I suppose as a doctor, then, and we spoke to your friend Jad, and he he, he was saying something similar that, you know, with the increase of of people getting coronavirus as well, because of course. The explosions happened in the middle of a global pandemic. can you tell me a little bit about I suppose because it's it's difficult to get the medical supplies, how how hard is it difficult is it in the hospitals at the moment to operate and to actually help people?
4: Sure, sure. Just to correct you, um, Ajad is a medical doctor. I'm a public health expert. I have a master's in public health. I've been working in the health management and policy and the health project management for 10 years now in the public health sector.
0: Well, I uh, (laughs) apologise. No, it's fine. Just to You you can easily tell I don't have much much knowledge around um, uh, medical... Positions or things like that. So, uh, like, by all means, correct me if I'm wrong in anything. But I suppose I'm here. I'm here to learn. This is why I want to have the conversation. So, you're a medical expert. Sure.
4: Yes. Uh, in order to brief you a bit about the medical situation in Lebanon, and post the double explosion in August four, we lost operations in five of beirut's major hospitals uh, two of them being uh, uh, one of the biggest medical university centers in beirut and uh, even, uh, the, uh, even the even uh, the american university of beirut medical center that is a bit farther than the explosion site got heavily affected so uh, operations were a bit limited and due to the uh, dollar uh, the lira devaluation uh, we are facing a lot of problems to get medical supplies and medication Uh, we the hospitals are mainly relying on the Lebanese expats to help to send funds on governments uh, helping uh, the, the, the teaching hospitals and the uh, local hospitals. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, we're running in a bit of crisis mode now, especially if I want to give you an example, the flu vaccine with the flu season uh, approaching, yes. we're still, started with the flu season. Actually, the flu vaccine is in shortage. We received only around 70,000 vaccines lately, and the Lebanese population is 4.8 million. With the Syrian refugees, we're around 6.3 million. The shortage with the COVID pandemic being also a global problem right now, flu should not be a problem. We should be protected against flu in order to be able to identify COVID when it occurs. So that's an example. We're not being able even to get the vaccines on time.
0: Which is a very basic uh, vaccine that that in most countries is readily available. So it's quite scary yeah. to it's quite scary to we We used to, hear. to be
4: vaccinated by September to have the population vaccinated by September we're in October and we don't have enough vaccines yet
0: Wow oh my. And, and and can you tell me uh, how, what are your your uh, your covid rates at the moment uh,
4: the covid rates were around if the numbers reported are reliable we're around 8% eight to ten percent it's fluctuating infection rate per day but uh Thankfully, around 85 to 90% of the cases are being very, very mild to asymptomatic, which is kind of a blessing with the situation we're living in Lebanon. We have uh, we have cases requiring the ICU and the critical care. The problem is that we don't have enough public ICU beds, and more than 50% of the population is currently uninsured with the economic crisis, with the COVID-19 crisis. More and more people are relying on government-subsidized healthcare services, and we don't have have enough of this right now even the private hospitals cannot accommodate all the cases because we don't have enough respirators enough supplies right now so that's why we're in a crisis mode vis-a-vis covid it's still a bit containable right now because the population is not showing a high rate of critical cases yet
0: and and with with the the uh, I suppose difficulty in getting medical supplies and resources would you would you be still getting like an adequate amount of covid testing um, equipment
4: uh, we're getting uh, a lot of donations especially after the explosion that occurred in beirut so we are doing a good number of testings per day but we don't know how sustain- sustainable it is because we we're, we're mainly running on donations more than being able to acquire the kits ourselves
0: okay so i suppose i'll be honest with you george this has shocked me i didn't know it was this bad especially during a pandemic when when you know you need your health system to be running adequately and and up to speed yes. i suppose maybe just to I, I yeah maybe just to close off this conversation i'd love for you just to just to reach out to, to all, all the listeners here what should we, like? I know you've said it already but a clear and concise message that can't be misconstrued or misunderstood sure. what, what do we need to do, us over here who are privileged, who are in you know, a country where our, our government is held accountable for most things what can we do? Like, What should we do? Not what can we do what, what should we do as other human beings to help out our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in Lebanon in specific what should we do? Sure. To add a point on the healthcare system, Lebanon was regarded as the
4: uh, hospital of the Middle East for like uh, last year, up until last year, until the crisis occurred. So right now we're going into a phase that's pitiful because being the hospital of the Middle East right now, we cannot afford to treat our own people. So a call to action would be Uh, Please, if you want to support the Lebanese people, do it through local or international uh, NGOs, through local communities. Do not direct the help through government because we don't have transparency to be able to trace the donations and the help and make sure that they are getting to the right people, to the people in need. And please help us. The, whichever way you can, through lobbying, in order to support the change in Lebanon, to get out of the sectarian system, to have a clean political system that is transparent, that is reliable, that makes sure that the people uh, are getting their rights, the, their right to have
3: a, a life, uh, to live with dignity.
0: Well, George, I I wish I I I will try to personally help. And after this phone call, if you could send me on some links to websites and to pages i will add that to the description of this podcast and i'll put it on my website and on my social media pages and i personally will take this on as a little mission of my own to try to to promote lebanon and also try to highlight some of the real issues that you've just brought up some of the stuff that our media doesn't tell us about
4: sure thank you that's really appreciated that's needed we need the share of voice we need to the advocacy towards helping the lebanese people right now
0: well in the show solidarity i'm sending all the love that i have over to you and everyone in lebanon and i really hope we, we, we like i'd love to have you on again maybe in the future Uh, when things are looking a little bit more positive or, you know, if we need another call to action or if anything else happens in the meantime, feel free to get in touch, um, uh, you know, a massive show of solidarity. And if we can help promote it through this show or through on social media, like, I'll do whatever I can
4: sure thank you and i hope next time uh, we talk together we have a chat together i'll be able to show you the lovely side of the lebanese life the way we showed paul last year
0: well i tell you what it is in my plans to come visit once the pandemic is over i will be coming to visit i definitely want to go and see your country
4: Sure, it would be really nice uh, to have you here and to host you in Lebanon in a better situation, hopefully.
0: I'm hopeful too. Well, listen, George, thank you so much for joining us on the Has Been Show. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Uh, I I wish also it was under better circumstances, but you know what? We need to take every opportunity we have available to us, and today just happens to be this podcast. I hope that the listeners will, will, will be called to action and will try to help. And by and large, Irish people tend to be very supportive of uh, people in the Middle East and, and other countries going through issues, especially around political corruption. But I want to wish you and all your friends and family uh, the best. And I hope that you get through this um, as, as quickly as possible. And I hope you get through the pandemic as well.
4: Thank you much appreciated it's been a pleasure it's been an honor to to be to being your guest and i hope we would meet uh, meet again in the future in better circumstances and really thank you for the all the support
0: Absolutely thank you so much George and take care okay Hello
4: Hi
0: Hello. <laughs> Hello.
2: Hello, <laughs> How are you, Martin? Good.
0: I'm good. Uh, so, okay, let's start straight away. Hoiida, yeah, is sure. that is that how I pronounce your name? Hoiida, Ho- hoida. hoida. Hoida.
2: Yes.
0: Hoida. Okay, I will try to remember that again. Well, welcome, welcome <laughs> to the the Has Been Show. Um, and I suppose, just for our listeners, you are a restaurateur, a restaurant owner in Beirut.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: And I suppose I've spoken to two people that are local uh, in Beirut at the moment, both of them work in the medical field, but I wanted to speak to somebody who's affected as a business owner. Could you tell me what it's like post-explosion for you as a restaurant owner?
2: Uh, uh, Post-explosion, we were uh, hit. Our uh, place was, uh, we had damages in the restaurant. Uh, Our chef was uh, injured, but he's fine now. Uh, We were already struggling with the financial situation uh, in Lebanon. And uh, it was hard. It's been hard since... uh, um, you want to say, a year back. It's been hard. And um, then the explosion happened. Uh, So um, all Ashrafi, mainly, it was very affected. And our restaurant is in Marimkail, which is one of the areas that were uh, mostly affected. Okay. Um, So um, we were were fixing the place uh, up uh, for three weeks uh, after the explosion and uh, we were thinking about if we should open or not open but then we saw our customers coming in to help us with uh, you know just cleaning up the glass and uh, everything after the explosion and uh, everyone was telling us please if uh, like people like you restaurants like you just uh, you know, give on uh, on uh, on on hope of uh, of rebuilding Beirut, and uh, nothing will be left. You know. Yes. So uh, we decided, uh, yes, uh, to to open back again. Uh, it's uh, it's been hard, and it's been good so far. Everyone has been very supportive uh, from our customers and friends and everyone around here. And uh, yes, but now we're, uh, you know, with the with the corona as well hitting Beirut, uh, it's setting very bad now. Uh, we have the second wave, so uh, we have a uh, limited seats of fifty uh, percent capacity. We have to take reservations, and we cannot do events anymore at the restaurants. We used to get a band uh, to play every every two weeks uh, at the restaurant and uh, yes uh, so uh, we cannot uh, uh, like uh, take that direction anymore yes and uh, every week uh, after the explosion every day every second we, we, we're living you know like uh, we're waiting for something uh, to happen uh, that's maybe be there hello uh, the Actually, that we're uh, having to deal with yes
0: well, okay so so basically you were struggling with the financial issues of the country from last October I just I just learned and yes then you had the yes. coronavirus which took over from March and April and then yes. during the middle of the pandemic yes you also had an explosion like how like you you must have some like you must have a lot of strength to get up in the morning and say you know, I'm, I'm going to continue on, and one of the things I've learned from talking to people from Lebanon, uh, including yourself, is this real sense of community, where you all come together to help out because you've all been affected together and equally.
2: Yes, yes, uh, we we do uh, we do uh, have that uh, here as a community and uh, uh, like we, when we're uh, cleaning up the restaurants we were also going into our neighbors uh, homes me and my partner, Mirna, because it's the two of us who own the restaurant, uh, to clean the neighbors' homes as well, you know, to help the old people that uh, uh, were not getting uh, help uh, in in the street that where we have the restaurant. So, uh, yes, it's everyone. And yes, we do get up every morning, you know, uh, uh, just uh, it's our only way to fight back, you know, Because, uh, as I said, if it's people like us that uh, give up on Lebanon, on Beirut, on everything, then uh, we will uh, just uh, leave the country to to the corrupt people that uh, have been ruling us for the past 30 years. And uh, we we don't want that. We want everything to change. Uh, So that's why we say we're staying and this is how we're fighting back, you know.
0: And it's good. It's good to be able to fight back, but you, it it does take an incredible amount of strength. And I just I just want to say that you know, I I've said this to other guests around this podcast that if I can promote or help spread a message, from from you guys to people listening over here in Ireland and the UK and the USA and the in the Western world, I suppose, if I can help spread any message for you guys, I'll gladly do it. And you have my full solidarity. And it is a country that Thank I will you be. So. Co- I will be coming to visit and I will be coming to your restaurant because I'll, I would really we love... would love uh, to have you here
2: and anytime you want to come, our house is
0: open. Ah. You
2: have your own room to stay in please.
0: Ah, that is so sweet. and You know what, it's quite indicative of the hospitality I've experienced from other Lebanese people. It's quite a, it's a beautiful thing and it's always lost when we look at the media because they don't show us this beautiful side of, of Lebanon and, and its people.
2: Yes, I know you're right about that. Uh, we only get to see t- uh, to see uh, through the media the, the 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 bad side of 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 things, uh, and uh, it's not Be- Beirut. It's a beautiful, beautiful city, and uh, as well as Lebanon. Uh, I was uh, just going around uh, Batroun today, which is a very nice area by the sea and I went into streets, I've been living in, in Lebanon for uh, 10 years now, and it was my first time to go there. Yeah. And I was like, you know, like, uh, uh, do we have this here? Uh, it's so beautiful, uh, you have so much history, the, architect- the architecture is so nice, uh, and it's uh, everywhere, and uh, uh, you have a, 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 a different uh, places in Lebanon that are like this. So, uh, yes, um, well,
0: uh, I can tell you now that when the, and I've said this to everyone that I've talked to so far and I'm going to say it to you also, I will be coming to visit in, next year when the coronavirus leaves. I will be coming to visit and I will do a podcast wait. when I'm over there to talk, just to show, I suppose, uh, some of the locals and the hospitality.
2: Yes, sure, sure, sure. We would love uh, to show you around <laughs> and uh, we can introduce you to a lot of people who can help with that as
0: well. Ah, that would be absolutely fantastic. So, hoida, hoida, is that right?
3: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm still learning. <laughs> I promise you I will pronounce it properly by the time I go to visit. How's that? Um, but yeah, it sounds
2: good uh, by far, it's, it's very good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's brilliant. You've been very kind. But I suppose I've I've asked every other guest to do this. And I'm going to, you're the last guest that's going to be on this podcast. And it is, it has turned into a podcast about Lebanon, even though it began as a podcast about the Middle East. Um, but I think it's far too important um, not to give it the, the the highlighting it needs. So I want you to finish off my show by telling me and all my listeners, giving us... A closing note. What should we do to support you guys in Lebanon? And what message from Lebanon would you like to extend to us?
2: The message is, uh, you know, just uh, keep talking about Beirut because we don't want uh, this uh, explosion because this was, to to us, this was a nuclear bomb, okay? Uh, So just uh, keep uh, talking about Beirut and about what happened worldwide so that uh, we don't forget and we get justice, okay? And uh, just to to have... uh, everything uh, shown about what really happened uh, in Beirut. We don't want people to forget, and we want everyone worldwide to, to talk about it, to, to, to keep uh, on talking about this explosion.
0: Well, that's absolutely no problem for me, and I tell you what, I'd love to have you on the show again sometime in the future when things are looking a little bit more positive. Um, but for now, hoyda I want to extend all the love and all the hugs and all the solidarity that I can muster and I'm extending it to you you. and yours.
2: Thank you so much, Martin. Thank you so
0: much for uh, your time. Not at all. Thank Um, you for your time. uh, Thank you so much for spreading the word out there. No problem Uh, at all. A lot of love from
2: Beirut and as I said, we're waiting for you uh, with open arms here.
0: Ah, thank you, Habibi.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much,
0: Habibé. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that word. Thank
2: you so much. I'll talk Shukran. to you
0: soon. Take care and God bless and I, and, I, and I will be in touch in the future.
2: Thank
0: you. Same to you, dear. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of The Has Been Show. The Has Been Show is available on all platforms. Do check us out on Facebook, which is The Has Been Show, or on Twitter, has been's, at Has Been's The. If you can we would really really appreciate if you could subscribe to our Patreon page which is www.patreon.com forward slash the hasbeans show The Hasbeans is spelled T H E H A Z B E A N Z S H O W Thank you so much The Hasbeans Podcast is presented by me, Martin Beans Ward on sound and sound engineering is Chris Sturer. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next time. It's beans in a pod, but this pod is travelling.